Uh, it's good to be with you. Welcome here. Uh, and as Matt said, happy Father's Day to all of the dads and all of the dads connected to our community. Um, I don't know if Matt mentioned this, maybe at the top I missed it, but it's, it's both of our first Father's Day this year. And uh, it's been a very fun eight months with our little guy, a very tiring eight months as well at times. But that's the way it goes. And uh, it's a special day for so many. So thanks for sharing your morning with us on, on this day. Uh, I'm excited, Matt mentioned, excited to kick off a new series, uh, sort of a five-week series that we're calling Off the Grid. Over the next five weeks, we are looking at stories from Scripture that take place uh, off the grid, out of the limelight, in the wilderness. And if you've read your Bible at all, you will know that the, the wilderness is this theme and this place that shows up all throughout Scripture. Uh, many of the great heroes of our faith, if you will, spend some time in the wilderness. Uh, whether it's Moses or Elijah or David or Jesus or Paul, it's like this pivotal place in the narrative of Scripture. And there's something significant about the wilderness, about this place. But it's interesting because the wilderness is both an actual place, like a reality in the Old Testament in particular. Um, characters, people would go into the wilderness, like the geographical wilderness. We don't have that quite as much. We have, you know, maybe the Okanagan Desert, but we go there for like wine tasting, so it's totally different. Um, but people would go for uh, into the wilderness, a geographic location. However, the wilderness is also kind of like a, a metaphor for a season of our faith where everything feels hard and, and dry and, and painful and lonely at times. The wilderness becomes this kind of metaphor for a certain kind of season or stage of our faith. And we want to explore this kind of season and these narratives throughout Scripture over the next five weeks. Because just as they play a pivotal role in Scripture for so many, they play a pivotal role for us today as well. And so I want to go way back this morning as we begin the series uh, to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, specifically 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah, if you remember, he's, he's known for many things um, throughout Scripture. He, he was a prophet of Israel. He had some incredible encounters with God. You might remember the story from 1 Kings 17, just two chapters before. Um, Elijah, like, you know, at his word, essentially commands a drought in the land and sort of defies the, the, the God of fertility in that day, in that land. And then just a chapter later, 1 Kings chapter 18, we get this, this kind of epic showdown. Um, and, and you'll remember this story. This is where Elijah, like, squares off against the prophets of Baal. And, and there's this epic showdown where it's like, whose God is the real God? And all these prophets are working themselves up into a frenzy, and they're going ballistic, and nothing is happening. And Elijah, I love the guy, he just starts taunting them, like he's provoking. He starts being sarcastic. He gets all witty and, and, and just kind of drives it home, and eventually, with one prayer, calls down fire. God, you know, commands this, this fire to hit this altar. God is revealed. Elijah is vindicated. Um, all the prophets are killed. It's like this spectacular show of, of power and awe and dazzling might and, and, and glory in this moment. And this is the text right before our text today in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab 
and Jezebel are kind of ruling Israel at the time, and they've just heard of this, this fiery encounter where Elijah has kind of revealed whose God is truly God. And here's how the narrative reads. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah has hit rock bottom here in this narrative. Despite the miraculous display of power, Jezebel wants Elijah dead. And the text says he was afraid and ran for his life. And Elijah's frustration, his fear, it turns into despair. He finds a tree. I love, that. I love that detail. He finds a tree. He lays down, and he's done. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life. Twice, God provides food for him until Elijah comes to Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And if you remember in your Old Testament, in the, in the book of Exodus, Moses meets God on Mount Sinai. This is where the Ten Commandments are given. And this is where the narrative continues. Elijah is on the same mountain. It says, The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said this, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came into the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. 
So I want to dig into this text in a minute. But first, I just want to zoom out because there's something really significant about this story that can be easily overlooked. Elijah has run into the wilderness in fear. Bold, confident, courageous Elijah, who's witnessed all of these miracles and spectacles, he's gone. He's nowhere to be found. It's as though everything God had done previously meant nothing. He's hopeless. And some scholars suggest he's even downright depressed, like he's ready for God to take him. And this is a guy whose life was filled with with spectacles. Like he's seen God, he's seen fire fall from heaven. He's seen the clouds like vanish and, and enter into a drought with one word. And now he's here, he's in the wilderness, he's on this mountain, and he's despairing. And sometimes... We think the Christian life is sort of linear. Like we imagine that following Jesus and growing in our faith is sort of a linear track. Like if you're not increasing in your faith, if you're not increasing in your hope and in your knowledge and your understanding of God, if you're not increasing in boldness, you're doing something wrong. You're going backwards, you're failing. But that's just not the reality of the Christian life, is it? There are different seasons of our faith. There are different stages of our faith. There are seasons where that might be true. You might be growing and, and your, your understanding of God, your experience of God is, is expanding rapidly and every day you feel like you're learning something new and you're meeting God and you're hearing His voice. But then there are wilderness seasons where God seems distant, where your bold faith kind of dries up, where you're at your wit's end like Elijah, you're just like, I've had enough. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You're empty, so empty. Have you been there before? Have you felt that sense of emptiness? Even when you go to talk to God, it just feels like empty. Most of us avoid those feelings and that experience at all costs. It's uncomfortable. And especially in kind of the Christian world, we feel like it's failure. We're not growing forward. We're not moving forward. We're not increasing in our faith or our hope. And so we feel like we're moving backwards. And so we, uh, we, we get anything and everything to kind of fill that void. We, we go on a new trip. We, we have a new experience, a new relationship, a new job. Sometimes we, we get spiritual with it. We find a new worship album or we go to a conference or we find a new preacher or something to kind of fill that void. It's like we cannot bear to face our own emptiness feels like failure but the wilderness experience this experience of 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 emptiness is not always a step backwards emptiness often precedes encounter all throughout scripture this experience of emptiness so often it leads to a new and fresh encounter of the living god we 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 it's like a doorway we step into a new experience. We come to understand who God is in a deeper and a fresh way. Coming to the end of yourself is often where we meet God, where we encounter God in a fresh way. Ruth Haley Barton, she has uh, such great quotes, and, and I love her writing. She says this, Elijah's wilderness experience is a powerful metaphor for the vast emptiness all of us must walk through on the way to encounter with God. 
but how we as human beings seek to avoid this truth of the spiritual life. The experience of our emptiness is so painful, we will do almost anything to avoid it, and most of us do for a long, long time. But try as we might, we cannot escape the fact that willingness to walk into the empty places is a precursor to finding God in Elijah's life and in our own. I love that. Willingness to walk into the empty places is a precursor to finding God. And it's so true of so many in Scripture and throughout history. Emptiness often precedes encounter. When you come to the end of yourself, when you're willing to walk into the empty places, you begin to meet and encounter God in a fresh way. And that's exactly what happens with Elijah here. We get this great picture in this narrative that I'm sure you've heard of or heard spoken of before. Uh, uh, the, the wind comes and the mountains and the, the rocks shatter before Elijah. And then the earthquake comes and then the fire comes, but the text is so specific. The Lord was not in those. And then it says this, after the fire came a gentle whisper. There's a phrase that came out of this text in particular that I'm sure many of you, especially if you're of the older stage of this demographic, have heard before. It's this idea of the still, small voice. Have you heard that phrase before? The still, small voice of God. That's, that phrase comes directly out of the King James translation of this text. The King James reads, after the fire came a still, small voice. And it's interesting because I've heard, I've heard a number of teachings around this idea of the still small voice of God. Um, I've never actually heard this text in particular preached from. But in my, in my reading and my study this week, um, I discovered that this phrase, this Hebrew phrase, is actually really hard to translate. And that, again, the King James uh, translated it as the still small voice, or this is the NIV translation I read from, uses this phrase, a gentle whisper. And you might be thinking, well, well, who cares? Like, still small voice, gentle whisper, kind of the same thing. And it's true, they are. But there's another way of translating this Hebrew phrase that I actually want to explore. I want to explore both this morning, because some translations will use this other phrase. The ESV, for example, or the NRSV will use a different phrase. And the phrase they use is the sound of sheer silence. That changes how the story reads, doesn't it? Is it a gentle whisper or is it silence? Those are two different things. After the wind, the earthquake, and the fire came the sound of sheer silence. Think about it. Elijah is on Mount Sinai. He's on the mountain where Moses encountered God. He goes up the mountain. If you remember in Exodus chapter 20, he goes up the mountain. He meets God in the smoke and the thunder and the fire. Moses comes down. His face is literally glowing like he's been in the presence of God. He's holding the Ten Commandments that have been etched in stone like by the finger of God. It's this epic encounter, something Elijah probably would have been expecting as he's up there on the mountain and the wind begins to roar and the fire comes and the earthquake comes. But this time is different. This time God is not in those things. This time God is in the sound of sheer silence. See, Elijah discovers something so profound here that God does not always operate in the spectacular. God does not always meet us in, in dazzling displays of power and glory. 
God does not always operate with, with fireworks and a light show. Here off the grid, Elijah discovers that in the sound of sheer silence, God is present. Ruth Haley Barton says this, we are starved for quiet, to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the presence of God himself. And it's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? The sound, like the sound of silence, huh, figure that one out. The sound of sheer silence. There's a room in Washington uh, coined as the quietest room in the world. It's a small room that is completely echo-free. Uh, it, it took two years to build. It's a very small, like kind of a, a size of like a small nursery. It took two years to build this completely soundproof room. People say it's where sound goes to die, <laughs> just so ominous. This room is so quiet that a person can actually hear the grinding of their bones when they walk in it. Ooh. I know, think about that one for too long. Um, you'll get queasy. The silence is actually so eerie, they won't let people stay in this room very long because their thoughts begin to be magnified and they begin to actually go a little bit crazy. I imagine Elijah experiences a silence similar to that. Like fire, wind, earthquake, and then a silence that is so quiet that he recognizes God must be present. So often we want God to show up in the spectacular, don't we? So, so often we want God to, to show up with a dazzling display of power and fireworks. We may even spend a great deal of our Christian life kind of searching for that, that mountaintop moment, that euphoric kind of Christian experience where you feel and you sense and you know the presence of God is there, where everything kind of clicks and comes together. We go from church to church or preacher to preacher, kind of looking for that supernatural, euphoric, mountaintop experience, the camp high, the mountaintop moment where you just feel you're bursting with the presence of God. We don't often think of silence as a means of encountering God's presence. But I would argue that more often than not, God meets us in quiet. More often than not, God meets us in small, ordinary ways. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He tells a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Think about it. Where do seeds grow? <laughs> they grow in the soil. They grow in the dark out of sight, in the quiet, underneath the surface of what we see. And seeds are so insignificant. Trust me, I know this because I'm weirdly passionate about gardening. Um, seeds are so small, like when you plant seeds, sometimes like you can't even see them in your hand. You're wondering like, did I actually plant it? Like they're tiny, they're so minuscule. And yet underneath the surface of what we see in the dark, in the silence, they begin to grow. And in the silence of our lives, when it feels like we, get, we hit rock bottom and we get radio silence from God, when we begin to despair, when it looks like nothing has happened, when all of our bold faith kind of dries up, God is there. God is at work. He meets us there, right at rock bottom, right in the quiet. Isaiah 30 says this, 
By waiting and by calm you shall be saved. In quiet and in trust shall be your strength. Don't mistake the silence of God for the absence of God. Don't mistake the quiet of God for the absence of God. He is there working underneath the surface of what we see, what we feel, what we hear. He's there. He's present. He is at work. Elijah discovers that in the sound of sheer silence, there God is. He's present. But the second translation of this delightful phrase, more popular translation of this encounter, um, we read from it from the NIV version just a minute ago, is this phrase, a gentle whisper. And if we take that translation and pursue that for just a minute, um, there's still this great contrast, this great juxtaposition of, of Elijah's life and Elijah's encounter with God. We still have the earthquake and the fire and the wind and all of the epic things Elijah has witnessed before, but this time he hears a gentle whisper. I wonder if Elijah was disappointed. Like, I wonder if he actually wanted God in the fire, in the, in the earthquake. Sometimes we want God to speak with a megaphone. Like we want, we want you know, the airplane with like the trailing message in the sky. We want it so clear. We want God to boom from heaven and speak directly to us and tell us what to do or where to go. But sometimes we just get a gentle whisper. In fact, I would argue more often than not, we get a gentle whisper. When God wants to speak to us, when God wants to move us forward, He whispers. He whispers into our soul. He whispers into our hearts. It's not always through a spectacular, life-altering event. Sometimes it's a whisper. And I don't know about you, I don't, I don't typically see dazzling displays of, of God's power and epic glory. Like, I'm not driving around town calling down fire, right? Unless there's a driver in front of me that, you know, gets on my nerves, but that's my own issue. Um, but I have heard the gentle whisper of God. I have heard the gentle whisper of the Spirit. It may not radically change your situation, but the whisper of God will cut through the noise like no other. It's gentle, but it carries weight. It speaks right to our soul. It cuts through the noise. And it has the power to sustain us and move us forward in a wilderness season of our life. And there's a time in my life where I would have said I was kind of in a wilderness season, if you use that language. I just sort of come out of Bible college. I was living here. I was working a job that, that kind of became unfulfilling. Um, my wife and I were struggling to find friends who like, actually wanted to hang out with us, not just out of pity. And we all know what that's like. And uh, more than that, I felt like I, I stopped hearing God's voice. Like I was in Bible college. It felt like God was expanding my knowledge, my understanding, my experience of Him all the time. And then I hit this wall, the wilderness, where I stopped hearing God. I felt like it didn't matter what songs we sang on Sunday, I couldn't hear anything. It felt like radio silence. Prayer became hard. Reading scripture felt like a chore. It felt pointless. And I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions. Have you been there? I remember one time... Uh, praying, and I felt like God gave me a picture. I felt like He whispered into my soul a picture to sort of sustain me in this season. And I had this picture of walking into a large house, 
And the door was open, and the lights were on, and there was a fire burning in the fireplace, and there was music on, and it was so clear when I walked into this house that someone was home. You know when someone's home in a house. But I was walking around the house, and I was going into the rooms, and all the lights were on, and I could tell someone was there, but I could not find anyone. And I felt like God gave me this picture as if to say this. You can't hear me or see me or feel me, experience me, but I'm there with you. I'm in the house. I'm with you. And that picture got me through a very difficult season of my faith. It got me through like an extended season where I felt like I stopped hearing the voice of God. And I came back to it again and again and again. When I would pray, I would be reminded of this picture. When I would drive, I would be reminded of this picture. It's like this picture carried weight in my soul. It cut through the noise. Do you know the gentle whisper of God? Have you become familiar with the whisper of God's Spirit? Sometimes it's a thought that won't go away. Sometimes it's a word or a picture that just kind of pops into your head and you don't know why, but it seems to just linger a little too long. Sometimes we feel like we're being pulled, like some people will describe it as being nudged or like pulled in a particular direction. You don't know why, but for some reason you're contemplating a decision that you weren't thinking about a day before or a month before. Do you know the whisper of God? Is there time and space in your life to sit and wait for the gentle whisper of God's Spirit? Is there quiet in your life and in your heart your schedule to hear his voice. The band's going to come as we close. You know, sometimes there's just simply too much in our lives, isn't it? Like there's, there, there's too much. There's too much noise. There's too many things. There's too many commitments. Attuning our ear to the gentle whisper of God requires we slow down and listen and wait for his voice. We don't hear a whisper unless you're listening. You do not hear a whisper unless you're listening, unless you're paying attention. And the question I want to leave you with today as you go into not just this moment, but your week, your month, how can you make room to hear the whisper of God? What does it look like for you in your age, in your stage of life, in your vocation, in your family demographic, in your... Um, geographic location. What does it look like for you? How can you make room to hear the whisper of God? Can you drive? Can you make your morning commute in silence? Can you uh, spend the, the, the morning in scripture instead of social media? Can you make room to carve out time to get quiet, to be with God? Can you go for a walk without your phone over lunch? Can you hear the whisper of God more in your life? We don't hear a whisper unless we're listening, unless we're tuned to his voice, unless we've learned to tune our ear to the whisper of God's spirit. But when God wants to move us forward, he so often whispers. He whispers into our soul. Henry Nouwen says this, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we don't set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. (laughs) We all know that to be true. That's why you're here, to be with God, to be with his people, to hear his voice. So I wonder if we could just kind of pause and and listen together this morning. 
as we just tune our ears, we get quiet, as we tune our, our mind, our attention, our thoughts to the voice of God and just sit and rest in his presence knowing he's here with us, would you pray with me? God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your presence with us. God, we just rest in your presence this morning. We rest in your, your love for us, your goodness, your faithfulness. We rest knowing that you're here with us in the room. You're here with us. We just honor you, Jesus. As we sang this morning that you're with us, God, we, we acknowledge you. And in this moment, God, we just, we, we just pause and wait and listen just for a minute. We just pause in quiet and listen for your voice. Would you speak to us? Would you cut through the noise of our lives? Speak to our hearts, speak to our soul what we need to hear. Would there be something, God, that you want to whisper into our soul this morning? We just take a minute, pause, reflect, and wait for you to speak. Come, Holy 